0: Hey, what's going on, my money-crazed lunatics? You hear that? That's the sound of money. And it smells pretty damn good, too. Thanks for tuning in this week, and I hope you enjoy the episode. (laughs) Hey, welcome back, you filthy animals. We have a lot of great things to cover in this episode, but first, let's just cover a few housekeeping items you know this community has been continuing to grow day in day out make sure you're reading the podcast descriptions make sure you're following the community facebook group the discord chat make sure you're following myself and brandon on instagram and also go give michael harris the guest on this podcast to follow too he's got a wealth of knowledge he's been working in this space for about 3 three and a half, four years. He currently works uh, for a registered investment advisor at Iron Oak Wealth in Austin, Texas. A little background, he went to Texas A&M, studied economics, that's where I met him. We both studied economics. And just an all-around great guy, very knowledgeable, really passionate about millennial finance too. So it's always a pleasure to have him on board, talking money, um, because I just think it is so important to really have these conversations. Even if they're a little uncomfortable for most, it's important to get started. And so I'm really excited about this one. Just to kind of recap, I've had Michael on the podcast before, episodes 10 and 13. So if you haven't heard him yet, go check those out as well. The episode 10 is about where I should park my money in 2021. So we kind of talk about the strategies and some of the sectors that his his company is bullish on and Then episode 13 really popular one, you know Should you hire a financial advisor? So two great episodes with Michael Harris and this will be the third one and so for this one we really dive into this age-old question of taxes and I think it's become more apparent for myself and Michael that a lot of investors are forgetting the implications of taxes, and so often I keep seeing people posting pictures of their gains. But I notice that they're mostly in Weeble or Robinhood accounts. So just keep in mind those are traditional brokers' accounts. The tax man wants your money. That's the name of the game. Move your money into their pocket. And so in this episode, we talk about some strategies to keep in mind whether that's short-term versus long-term capital gains, whether that's dividend investing, different types of dividends, and different retirement accounts to shield from taxes and the strategies on how to implement these accounts as well. So look, again, a wealth of knowledge. Make sure you give him a follow. Make sure you give him a shout-out. If you like this episode, share it with your friends or family. I think this one's a phenomenal one. And I would share it to anyone you know who has been actively trading and investing in 2021. I would imagine they're probably new to the game and they haven't seen a tax bill yet. And so just keep in mind, taxes hurt. So the name of the game is investing in a way to trigger the least amount of tax liability and in some situations generate tax assets and we'll get into how to do so. So I hope you filthy animals enjoy this episode. Stay tuned. So Michael, you want to introduce yourself just for, you know, the community that doesn't know you. I know I've had you on before, but just yeah. give yourself a little introduction again.
1: Yeah, sure. My name is Michael Harris. I work for Iron Oak Wealth out of Austin, Texas. Um, We are an RIA, Complete Fiduciaries, all fee-based, and uh, we invest in companies. We don't use ETFs or mutual funds or different products. We find companies and we'll build a portfolio of anywhere from 20 to 30 and invest
2: in them. And that's how I make my living. I'm going to play the role of the, experienced, per- the, the per- experienced person pretending to be dumb here. Let's define some of the things you said, because like, I've got a lot of new investors, people that are just jumping into the market, and if I called them a fiduciary, they'd get offended. So let's break that down for a little <laughs> bit. So like, what is a fiduciary? What purpose do they serve? And what does that mean?
1: That's good. Yeah. Yeah, great question. So uh, fiduciary, legally, I'm bound to act in my client's best interest. And if for some reason I step outside of that boundary, they have every right to come after me for every dollar that I'm worth. And so that's a really simplistic way of looking at a fiduciary. How we avoid that conflict of interest is we have everything fee-based. So as the client's account grows, I'm gonna be compensated more. As the client's account, you know, if it does go down, I'm gonna be paid less. And so if I'm making an investment for a client, there's no conflict of interest because at the end of the day, the more money they make, the more money that I make. Yeah. Whereas, tra- right, so tra- traditional big wirehouses, brokerage firms, uh, some of them still operate under the traditional model of hey, Josh is going to give me a hundred thousand dollars. I'm going to invest it in Apple. I'm going to take a commission, and so I'm going to get paid either way. Like, cool. Josh, Josh is going to. I'm going to call him up asking for more money all the time because you know, I want a nice little bonus at the end of the month. Yeah. I'm going to hit them up. Let's or you tell, it, then- you tell
0: me you have another brilliant idea and move my money elsewhere right. and
1: get
2: another commission. So right. it's... So it's
1: you're, in, go ahead.
2: I'm sorry. In layman's terms, a fiduciary is the promise between the person that is investing the money and the person deciding on where the investment's going that you're not going to play out some sort of elaborate Wolf of Wall Street style uh, you know rack it against me and steal my money out from under me because you're legally obligated to do what will be the most beneficial to me in any given moment beautiful yep
1: yep it's a great great way of putting it um yeah because at the other place like the situation i i just gave josh it's like i'm getting paid and you know hopefully apple goes up but if it doesn't and i want to move to a different company you're gonna have to pay me another commission in order to move to a different company and so uh with a fee-based model we can make as many changes within the portfolio as we want to without charging that uh, that commission to the client that's awesome Yeah,
0: you know, so i know our last conversation we had michael we really talked about kind of we talked about different types of investments and different companies and kind of you know the industry and the lay of the land in 21 but now i want to talk about taxes and this is what we're going to be talking about and in 2020 i felt like a lot of your new investors kind of forgot what taxes were. They don't really, and I think they still don't know what it is. And I think they're going to learn right. come April. Um, how important is it, even for people our age, that we have the time to make up shortfalls in our portfolio? How important are taxes for even yeah. you know, millennial investors?
1: Yeah, I think this is an important topic that not many people discuss. It's going to put on the back burner and, you know, when April comes around, Yeah, you know, there are a lot of people our age that still send their W-2s and their 1099s <laughs> to their parents and say, hey, yep. you know, mom and dad have a person, they're going to knock it out. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? No. Um, I, I just think you, you and I are built kind of the same way when, Brandon, I'm sure you're probably the same way where it's, um, you, you want to be a little bit more on your own. You want to understand what's going on. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to taxes, it does have a large implication on you know, performance of the portfolio and then, also, you might, more than likely, if you have short-term gains, going to have to pay the government come April. And so, um, we we saw that, or we're seeing that, with we can talk about everybody's favorite stock for the year twenty twenty-one, GameStop, mm. right? Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's say you buy, you purchase GameStop at, let's say one hundred and fifty dollars a share, rides up to. $300 or let's say $200, $250. Yeah. You sell yeah. out, you buy back again at $300, you lose that money, it goes down to $50 a share. Sounds uh, about right. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, you, you have less than you initially started with, right? Mm. And then come April, your tax bill comes and you can't cover your tax bill uh, because your short term, short term capital gains, they're going to be taxed at your regular income rate. And then, um, the government's going to want that money no matter what. Right. And so you get this tax bill, you can't really pay it. Um, and I think that's a problem that's happening with a lot of Robinhood investors right now is they're getting this tax bill. They have no idea what it is, right. They get a 1099, uh, from Robinhood that's distributed and you're, well, what is this? I, I've never learned about it. So and now you're I'm forced glad to you, liquidate you positions, right? Now
0: you're forced to liquidate right. to come up, or I don't know, ask mommy and daddy,
2: <laughs>
1: right? And then that's going to cause short-term capital gains, and so it's just kind of a reoccurring cycle. So oh yeah, um, oh I didn't even think
2: about it like that. Jesus,
0: isn't that crazy? People do not think about short-term capital gains are a killer in impo- in active performance that's why i mean yeah
2: yeah you know and so i i was just gonna say uh speaking on like the importance of like taxes in general is i feel like a lot of people don't really credit themselves on how much money they could really save like a lot of people are like well i'm already getting money back when i do my taxes like so what what really can i save in terms of like you know, you know, someone who went through college had to take out loans to go through college, like tracking that sort of stuff has saved me so much money in my taxes. It's, you know, you should really get ahead of it. But I guess the real question is, is like for investors specifically, right? Like, I feel like a lot of people don't even understand what qualifies something as a short term capital It's like how long we should start there, right? Like, how long do I should I hold a stock? Yeah. You know, what's the what's the estimated time for it? You know, how can yeah. those things help me both in investments and with taxes?
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah, and and that's absolutely something that I think we're seeing in, in some ways. Josh and I spoke about this on our last discussion, where Robinhood's great because people can get into the market very easily, but they've also discredited a lot of those people because they haven't come in with an education side. And so, as Robinhood okay. gets closer and closer to an IPO, I'm curious uh. if they're going to start providing that education and then also the ability to open up different account types with a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA. Um, Because eventually they're going to, it's just a matter of when, and then adding that education piece as well, so. Wow, I never thought
0: about it that way, the education piece, but you're absolutely right. Absolutely.
1: Right, Yeah, and and I always, I hate hate bringing this up again, but we discussed it on the last podcast where that kid was trading you know, these options and woke up with a negative $700,000, you know, deposit in his Robinhood account and, you know, committed suicide. And obviously Robinhood's not 100% to blame for that, but there is a certain role that they are to blame because they didn't educate that kid on the amount of risk and the volatility that was within his portfolio. Right. So... I, I am curious to see, and, and that's what a lot of RIAs have been talking about is, you know, in this Robinhood IPO does launch, and I've heard it's going to be about a fourth of what it was going to be about a year ago, mm. just because they've had all of this... Controversy. Yeah, you know, everything, right, and even last April, whenever you saw the markets gyrating and being very volatile. People's, people were locked out of their accounts for two or three days yeah right and you can trade and that's exactly when people wanted to trade right sure when it comes to getting margin called and everything like this that's more on the a lot of people don't understand that side of the business but getting margin called is a pain in the butt like that's a hefty fine from the SEC um, yeah. I'm not gonna say it's like right or wrong but I understand why they you know stop people from buying. Um, GameStop at the time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway. <clears throat> so, anyway, going back to Brandon's first question. Long-term versus short-term capital gains. Yeah. So, long-term capital gains. Gains, excuse me. Got GameStop on my mind, man. We're <laughs> talking too much about it. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> um, so, are going to be investments that you've held for one year. And they're going to be taxed at the long-term capital gains rate. That we'll go over. Yep. Short-term capital gains will be investments held for less than one year. So, uh, long-term capital gains are taxed at the fifteen percent tax rate, and that's for most people. If you make less than forty thousand a year and you're filing singly, um, you're actually not going to pay anything in capital gains. Um, but most people are going to fall anywhere from that forty k to the 444,000 range or 445,000 filed singly, and you're going to pay 15%. Anything over that, you're going to pay over or you're going to pay 20%. Would you
0: still pay short term capital gains though if you were making under 40? Because I know we were talking about long term, but for short term capital gains, if I was making under 40, do you know
1: that? So let's see. Yeah. So you would pay the you would pay at your in- your regular income tax level. Okay, good.
0: Yeah. That's I <clears throat> so I think
1: that one's is that seventeen, eighteen percent? I forget. Yeah, and it's probably going to change under the Biden administration. Yep. Um, but <clears throat> we'll see what happens. So short term, you're just going to be taxed at your regular income level. You have the twenty two percent tax bracket, and you make ten thousand dollars on a stock, you're going to pay twenty two hundred dollars in in taxes, which sucks. Which, Indeed. right? Yeah, twenty two percent right off the top, like. That's worse than buying a mutual fund A-share, right? Yeah. It's going to take 5% off the top. So uh, something to, to really take into consideration whenever you are making purchases. Uh, I don't know if we do have very active strategies. And so something that we talk about with clients is, hey, you're going to have short-term capital gains. It's not a matter of if, it's, it's a win. Right. And so talking to them and saying, hey, your return might not be, it's probably going to be, you know 10 to 15 percent less than um what it was and so you know, people people say yes as long as they understand and that expectation is set i think people are fine with it and, and that's really with anything in life when you think about it you know, if something pops up out of the blue and it's a surprise clients are going to be a lot more upset right sure. josh you have real estate yeah you say there's a two bed one bath and there's uh one bed and a half bed. I'd be like, pissed the hell off. Man. <laughs> you're, gonna <be laughs> you're gonna be real upset, right? And so, uh, just going in and setting that precedent and letting them, you know, letting clients understand what's going to happen um, is important. Yeah. So that's a. There are some ways that you can kind of, I guess, go around that, and you can sell on a loss to counter counterbalance some of the short term and long term capital gains but generally you're gonna you will pay short-term capital gains so um there are two account types that i do want to go over the traditional ira and the roth ira which are one way that you can avoid going over um paying the long-term or short-term capital gains yeah so brandon you got anything else to add to uh long-term short-term capital gains
2: Yeah, I think, you know, also when it comes to holding stocks for a long term, I also know that like market data suggests that it's also more beneficial to hold stocks for longer because the longer you hold a stock, it is less likely for you to be in the negative as the years go by, provided you're not in a proper value trap, you know? So, uh, you know after you hold a stock for more than i believe 2 years the likelihood of you being in the red at the end of a 2 year frame is like less than 28% or 38% on the market if you're holding a stock in an individual company granted if you do you know your due diligence and research the company for a longer time horizon you'll probably do better there but i see a lot of people trying to time the market mm. this is just another benefit as to why time in the market is just so much more productive for your portfolio because not only if you stake out at least a year in a stock, do you get these tax incentives um, and breaks off of your money that you're reeling in, but also, right, you have a theoretical better shot at being in the green and making more money overall. So, you know, it's just more of a benefit as to why long-term trading or why why long-term investing is more profitable than short-term trading despite the fact that short-term trading on paper feels more attractive because you can see those quick and easy gains in front of you. You got to remember that this is where it really comes time to pay the piper. And if this is something you're going to continue to do and trade in and out of short positions, you really need to pay attention moving into this next section because these are the ways you can do this without having to be shackled with tremendous, you know, payments at the end of it. So that's all, you know.
1: Yeah, it's a really well put. Yep. Absolutely. So, Josh, you got anything to add before I kind of dive into these these two accounts? Nope. Nope. I, I'm, I'm all set, man. Let's go. Sweet. So, we, uh, we got two things that we want to go over. We have an IRA and a Roth IRA. So, a uh, little background. Traditional IRAs were introduced in 1974 and then became pretty popular in 1981. And Roth IRAs were named after Senator William V. Roth Jr. Uh, in 1997 for the Taxpayer Relief Act. So if there's a Harris IRA in a uh, few years, I don't yeah. know. I'm just, trying to, <laughs> I'm just trying to put my name down in the financial history. You know? <laughs> Can you just imagine making a bill and you're like, you know what? We're going to do this and I'm uh, just going to name it after myself, right? <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome.
2: Yeah, how arrogant is that? That's nice. (laughs) I think it's a good way to go out in history for something productive. I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, obviously there's a a difference between the two. So for a traditional IRA, and IRA stands for Individual Retirement Account, and this is not an employee-sponsored plan. So an employee-sponsored plan, think your 401k, 403b, uh, depending on the company, like a SEP IRA or a simple IRA, an individual retirement is outside of that. So traditional IRA is a tax-deferred account, and the contributions that you make into that are tax-deductible. Also, as a disclaimer, um, go talk to your CPA. This isn't financial advice. Please nope. don't sue me. So, don't um, <laughs> sue me either. Hell no. So uh, in a traditional IRA... Right, it's tax-deferred, tax-deductible de- tax when it comes to times doing your turbo tax or you're talking to your CPA. Let them know that you made contributions into the traditional IRA because you're going to be able to write that off. Yep. So earnings grow tax-free uh, to the point Brandon made. You can make as many changes that you want inside of that portfolio or that account without incurring those tax penalties.
2: Yep.
1: And then whenever you decide to take this money out, when you can do it, it's going to be penalty free. Whenever you turn 59 and a half, and a half, you're going to be taxed at your norm at your income tax rate. Yep.
2: Question. So, let's let's say yeah. I got an IRA. Right, I'm investing diligently inside of it, paying my taxes like a good little boy, doing everything I can to grow this this you know perfectly. A Roth or a then,
0: traditional, Brandon? Just to... uh.
2: We'll we'll do uh, we'll do a, a traditional <clears throat> IRA. Okay. Yeah. Um what let's say something cataclysmic happens uh, and i need to pull money out of my retirement account uh, to access it what what happens there
1: yeah so with the traditional ira you're going to be subject to that 10% penalty or excuse me a 10% penalty right off the top you're also going to be going to be taxed at that income tax rate yeah so let's say you're in that 22% tax rate you're getting hit with 32% penalty and tax and then you lose out on the compound interest. I don't necessarily have to go into that because I know Josh and you've been hammering that home. So, yeah, um, yes, in a traditional, that's the case. Um, there are certain times when natural disasters happen, like last year, um, you know, with COVID happening. And sometimes when natural disasters come through, like I know in Houston, a few years ago, whenever that hurricane hit, they passed a few tax bills where they said, hey, if you need to take money out of your 401k, you're able to do that, but and you're able to do it penalty free. I should add that. Um, but usually, 99.9% of the time, mm-hmm. you're going to be subject to that penalty and uh, going to be taxed at that income tax rate. Gotcha. Yeah. So Roth is a little bit different. And so with a Roth, you're going to pay money on the taxes before it goes in. And then same thing as a traditional IRA, your money's going to grow tax-free and you can make as many adjustments as you want without being subject to short-term or long-term capital gains within the account. And then whenever you take the money out, you're not going to be subject to those taxes. Uh, With a Roth IRA, there are a few rules where you can withdraw the principal amount only the penalty. Yeah. Only the right. Principal. Right. Anything over that, you're going to be hit with a penalty. Yep. Uh, and I believe it's subject to income tax as well. It is. Um, mm-hmm. Don't quote, don't quote me on that, but yeah. Um, <clears throat> I don't, I don't deal with that too often. Usually when people give me money, they're like, I don't want to worry about it until I'm 59 and a half. So, <laughs>
0: um,
1: so a Roth just right off the bat sounds a little sexier. Because nobody likes to pay taxes, especially after it's grown X amount over these years. Uh, but unfortunately, the government has put limitations on how much you can make in order to contribute to a Roth. So right. if you're single, like myself, and you make over 140000 a year, you can't make contributions to a Roth. Yep. If you're married, you're filing jointly uh and if you make over two hundred eight thousand as a household you're not going to be able to contribute to a roth um damn it and so right
2: what if <laughs> i josh well, yeah
1: that
2: oh i'm not married
1: oh no thank
0: god man I no sir i got <laughs> close i got close but i dodged the bull <laughs>
1: <laughs> so this kind of brings up the question, like, which one do I choose, right? A question that I actually got asked today. There's no shame in asking it, No. Uh, as long as you, and, and this is where you need to go talk to somebody if you don't understand. So in retirement, really you should expect to pay anywhere from 20 to 25% on average. You'll, you'll be in that tax bracket whenever you retire based off of averages. So if you expect your tax bracket to get lower, In retirement, contribute to a traditional IRA. Yep. If you expect your tax bracket to be higher whenever you retire, contribute to a Roth. Pay the taxes
0: now because it'll be less than the tax bill if you waited till you were older.
1: Yeah. And that just makes sense. Like (laughs) if you're in the 17% tax bracket right now and you contribute to a Roth and you don't have to pay the twenty-two or twenty-five percent later on you're saving yourself five to eight percent and that's a lot
0: of and money on the other way yeah it's a lot of money
1: right especially when you compound that over time right
2: yeah and more importantly it's a lot of your money right so like it's one thing if it's like oh i didn't get an eight percent raise it's another thing if it's like man i just lost eight percent of my savings right there's Which a what happens. There. yeah yeah just basic loss conversion losing eight percent is going to feel better than gaining eight percent any day of the week
1: yes right yep so other factors to consider, and again, talk to a CPA, talk to a real financial planner um, when it comes to what to do, but um, something else to consider is looking at the compounding interest within whatever the account is. Let's say you're at a company and you have 100000 in your 401k. You might consider opening up a traditional IRA instead of a Roth Is that $100,000 with your contributions is gonna grow significantly more than if you just open up a Roth IRA and start putting 6,000 away every year, right? Right. You start with a bigger lump sum, you're able to build that wealth a lot faster. Sure.
2: Yep. There's that golden number again, by the way, it comes up a lot every time we're discussing investing, but it's that first $100,000 for a lot of young investors. Like that's, that's that key milestone. Like the moment you get there, it's really the gravy train from that point you feel way less compelled at like how can i grow my portfolio incredibly fast and it's much more like how can i make sure that wild comets don't come in from out of the blue and mess up my whole thing i got going on you know your your, your risk mitigation and, and prevention change a lot i remember when yeah. i first started investing and i was talking about buying tesla josh you chided me and you're like so you're telling me i should just liquidate my whole portfolio and buy tesla stock and I I wasn't even joking. I unabashedly was just like, yeah, why not do it? Yeah. And um when Tesla was doing well, in the back of my mind, there was a little voice in my head that was gloating, like, man, why didn't he why didn't he just do it? It's like I understand it a lot more now because when you're looking down from the top of a mountain, it's yeah. way more uh, way more precarious than when you're climbing up it. You know? Yeah. You get way more fearful of a bear market. You get way more fearful of uh, crazy cyclical uh, markets and stuff like that, too.
0: Right. Uh, I just so know, like, a- to hit
2: a million, it's actually
0: not that difficult at the spot I'm at. So I'm just trying to just chillax, man. I'm just trying to chill and I'll get there in a few years. That's all that matters, baby.
1: <laughs> yeah. But to that point, I remember calling Josh and we might have talked a year and a half or two years ago. And you just, you asked the golden question. And you said, so, uh, you buy some Tesla I said, dude, I just can't, I can't look at the books. I can't look at like the process or, you know, how they act as a company and, and justify putting clients or even my own money in it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, to your point, Brandon, a year later, it's, uh, at an all time, well, I guess it's not an all time high right now, but obviously it's, it's, it's way it's, up. There. Yeah. Right. So it's what's it's close, close to $700 a share today. Mm -hmm. Had its best day since last February of 19 or 20% this week. Um, We don't have to talk about the two weeks prior, but... um, We should.
2: No, it was was terrible. It was a painful ride. I watched so much red bleed out into the market, but it's okay because I'm long on the company. Uh, Right. You know, I think, you know, an interesting path, an interesting quote is uh, there's many paths to the top of the mountain, right? And everyone's got their own tolerance for which path they're willing to take and get there. Um, and and I think that's that's what's so amazing about finance is you can find people, institutions, organizations, ETFs, ways to manage your money that really fit you know you and your strategy. So it's great that people get exposure to people like you, who can really like talk them through like what what sort of analysis you need to have when you're looking at a company and how to avoid how to avoid the things that everybody has to deal with, right? Everyone's going to have to deal with short-term gains. Everyone's going to have to deal with taxes, right? Yeah. So it's like, these are the fundamentals that every investor, regardless of what sector of the economy, their risk tolerance, they're all going to have to go through eventually. So you're a very great asset for that. So thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, and even, you know, sitting, I've sat down with... Um, guess two, three people this week, and uh, Josh knows. I, I don't know if you listen to the, the episode, Brandon. We have a CFP on staff and um, sat down with people. And like, I, I love the investment side of things. I never want to do another financial plan in my life. Like when I was at my old brokerage firm, like I did a million of them, and. It's just, it's I'd rather dumb. sit down, analyze companies. I would rather, you know, do the trading. The sexy uh, stuff, my man. in the game. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. The stuff that I can go and, like, sit down and talk to people about, right? Stuff um, that good, looks good on your LinkedIn profile, man. <laughs> right. Like, Josh and I aren't going to sit around and brag about who made the better financial plan. Of course. You right. know, 10 years from now, right? Nice. Um, but that's why I'm very thankful for our CFP on staff. His name's Preston Weaver. Um, Cause I had a client who, um, you know, long story short has a lot of money in this company. Uh, this company Forex last year in the market. And so sitting on like a, a decent chunk of money. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I, I immediately thought he came to me and he said, Hey, I want to sit down and have a financial plan. And I said, Yeah. And, you absolutely need one. Like if you, if there's a case for a financial plan, like that is absolutely one of them. And so I was really grateful that we have a CFP on staff who has been doing this for about 10 years, loves to crunch the numbers, loves to sit down and uh, getting to be a part of that and and really seeing that financial security where I would say something and you could hear like, Oh, like a light bulb went off in the client's eyes or in his head. And that is a, that's very fulfilling for me and very gratifying for me for what I do. Um, even I would say even maybe not more so than getting a good return within a year, but making sure that somebody feels comfortable with the steps that we're taking in order to get them to their financial goals. Um, that's one of the main reasons I I do what I do is to see them very comfortable with, you know, whatever's going on with their own financial goals.
0: So I always get asked this question, Michael, you know retirement accounts super super common people have access to them but people are always confused on the order of accounts to invest in you know do they save for retirement or do they just put it all yolo in their traditional brokerage right and just get taxed out the ying ying what is the general what's your general advice you know how would you approach someone and tell them the order of accounts so to speak on what to sink their money in first
1: right Yeah, so this is absolutely a question I get asked every time I I sit down with somebody, right? Yeah. So for the traditional person working in 9-to-5 corporate America, you're going to have a 401k at your company. If you don't, give me a shout because I'm a 401k consultant as well. You can go in and work with the company in order to get a uh, very cost-effective 401k. So you can get one outside your company?
0: Right.
1: No, so with a four hundred and one k, it has to be within the company because okay. it's what's called an employee sponsored plan. Gotcha. But I'm also a four hundred and one k consultant where I can sit down with business owners and let's say there's ten employees.
0: Oh, okay. I can give them
1: a really a really cost effective four hundred and one k where everybody can get in and you know full concierge service if they need anything. The uh, okay. I'll be their direct line of contact. Anyway.
2: We'll make sure to add your uh, description and links like that in the yeah. bio so everyone can know where to find you, too. Yeah,
1: yeah absolutely. Um, so let's say, like, same thing I just described. Nine to five, corporate America, big company, you have a 401k. Uh, I think the stat that I gave you last time, Josh, was 67% of Americans know the name 401k, but they have no idea what it is, right? And so, Oh, my God. Oh, that's so right. scary, man. And you're saying, yeah, you're saying the same thing in the military. It's it's kind of no fault of their own because they have an advisor who. It, there's an advisor on every 401k plan. It's lack of education, their man. job. Right, their job is to do due diligence, and a lot of advisors will get a nice 401k plan, build up a book of business, and then just kind of ride the coattails off. And um, something that I'm I'm obviously pretty passionate about is education, and so getting down and sitting with people and walking them through like okay like you have a 401k what's the next step after that um going back to your original question like what's the order of accounts yeah we want to put money in the 401k one very cost effective most of those 401k plans are going to have pretty cheap index funds that you're able to invest in uh or some actively managed funds if you want to go that route i necessarily recommend it but it's okay uh to get up to the match, you know, at the bare minimum, if your company's matching two or three percent, at least contribute up to the match. That's free money. Like I can sit around and talk about how great my returns are, day in and day out. But if you're getting a hundred percent right off the bat,
2: it's free why, ninety-nine, baby.
1: Yeah, right. Why would you take advantage of that? Right. Right. Uh, so from there, that's when the financial planning aspect comes in and. You have to start looking at okay how much are you making how much is your wife making um you know if you're married do you have kids Uh, do you want to build an education fund for them what does it look like typically we're going to prioritize retirement over education because you can take you can take a loan out for education and necessarily take a loan out for retirement right correct yeah right so I mean, right um, now they forgive really student
0: loans, man. Who cares? They for, they're gonna get, <laughs> forgive them, dude. Come on, you're good to go. Yeah,
1: we will. Uh, we'll see, man. I just take two hundred grand out, go to
0: Harvard, you're good to go.
1: Yeah, I have a lot of friends who you know kind of pay their way for, through school, and you know, thankfully, like uh, one of my dad's goals, like growing up, was I'm gonna I want to like pay my kids way through college, and he told me I had four years, and that's that's why I like. Kind of rushed through school I was like <laughs> all right i'm not gonna call his bluff he might like he might pay for another semester but like nah. i'm not calling his bluff right Hell, no. um but I, I know a lot of people who paid their own way and they're like you know student loans get forgiven like i
0: like, had to join the freaking military loans. man i
2: didn't want to do right, that like, <laughs> you know i i gotta say as someone who's gone through the military it and sucks i i have that option there too i also don't really care and I'm just going to say, I think that a lot of people go through college because I feel like college is kind of like forced or predicated upon them. They didn't know what they mm-hmm. were supposed to be doing. And the government subsidizes these loans, forces people through, you know, and, or, and that doesn't really force them through, but they come out the other end. Like, I feel like college prices are so expensive because the government like subsidizes them. So I also feel like I'd understand if the government also felt responsible for the debt accrued for people not passing through their college, especially yeah. if it's actually deflationary on the economy. I'm 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 all about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and stuff like that, but you know, some people still wear boots that have buckles on them and stuff, so you got to be really special <laughs> with them. They they need help. Sometimes they need help, right? No, I don't
0: disagree. That's, you know, especially, you know, pushing education. That's pretty common. And I do think that's uh, a
1: bad business to be in. Yeah. I'm not, you know, at the end of the day, as I grew older, what I think about politics doesn't really matter, right? My job is to educate clients on how that affects their portfolios and affects the market. And so if it happens, like, it happens. Um, That was the
2: most... The Obviously, statement seen... i've ever heard
1: i love utter. that
2: like, that, was the, that should be the tagline <laughs> oh amazing. it's amazing so true it rings so true i don't care who's in charge either i really just care about like at this point in my life yeah. i want to keep on keeping on for me and my family my friends i want to be the pillar in my community and help everyone around and me. make some freaking money yeah and if i can get rich doing right. it why not you know Right. I don't get caught up who's saying who is doing what. And, like, it really just boils down to, like, what's the policy in effect? How's it going to change the at right. large? What's it going to do to the taxes? Like, this is ultimately what really matters to every day to day Americans, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: So, Michael, like, you know,
2: on yeah, the. There's I'm a-, a video I watched. Oh, yeah. For- go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Oh, uh, just to wrap up that, I-, I watched a video the other day where it was like, if. <laughs> I don't know if y'all know who Rob Bailey is. He's this big, like, kind of meathead. Like, oh, I,
0: like
1: have, I, mean, I know meathead, man. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> so like, oh, yeah. <laughs> he just, uh, I remember, like, listening to his music and I was like, man, he just, just screamed a whole I don't lot. I you can call it. He, uh, he certainly has a soundtrack.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: it's called <laughs> Hungry, right?
2: Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's
1: Hungry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he posted a video and it's like, hey, no matter what happens, I think it was right before the election, he's like, if you think that person is going to come and save you, you have bigger issues to worry about. Yeah, like, totally. That agree. is, you know, that that kind of is that that uh, bootstrap mentality, like Brandon was talking about. But I you think know, at the end of the day, like you know, stuff's going to happen either way, and it's all about how you respond to that. And so we can wrap up that it's getting a little too like nah, mindset nah, and emotional <laughs> and stuff <laughs> like that. But nah, I, I'm, <laughs> well, here, were to, I'm here to
0: about? trigger people, man. But uh, anyways. With capital gains, so a lot of people, you know, they they think of index funds and they think of mutual funds and oftentimes they're disconnected, capital gains with funds, they don't think about it. What are the implications of capital gains in mutual funds and ETFs? Because I know they exist, um, but can you explain them?
1: Yeah, so that that is something that people think, especially in your favorite investor, Aunt Kathy Woods. (laughs) Uh <laughs> That's my sugar mama. She is uh investors are gonna experience that this year. Because there's a lot of active management within that portfolio. don't no, are you, are you subscribed to the trade blotters at the end of the day now? I am now. Okay. Yeah,
0: you got me on it. I appreciate it.
1: So you can see you can see each and every single thing. Needless to say, as well as that fund is managed, there's a lot of capital gains within the fund and in an ideal, really nice world, you know, the, the mutual fund or the index fund or um, the, the actively managed ETF would pay those fees for you, right? Right. And historically, ETFs have been known for, okay, I'm going to get a bundle of these investments, I'm going to let it sit, and I'm only going to touch it if something bad happens, like if something catastrophic happens. Right. Now that we're seeing active management, it's not necessarily that way. And so these funds are going to distribute these capital gains to their shareholders at the end of the year. And so it doesn't matter how long that you've held on to that security. Let's say you bought Ark in 2015. The IRS does not care how long you've held that fund. They care how long the underlying securities in that fund have been held within that fund. Super so important. a few layers to it. Interesting. That's really good to know. Yeah, I and, and so it
0: makes sense. Yeah, you and I talked about this before, Michael. I'm glad you brought it up.
1: It's super important. And so depending on how the how long the fund is held, let's say, you know, obviously, ARC is huge on Tesla. Can't get away from it, Brandon. I'm sorry. Uh, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> talk about it all all night long, I guess. Um, <laughs> but because they've held it for over a year that's going to be subject to long-term capital gains. Anything else that they've held for less than a year is going to be subject to short-term capital gains, and you're going to have to pay for that.
2: Is the inverse of that true then? Does that mean that I could buy Arc and if they had not sold anything actively within the period that I held a share in the ETF, if I sold it, it would only be subject to long-term capital gains because the Arc, as the institution has held it for longer than a year?
1: No, so that's that's the other layer. Right? Gotcha. So that's going to be short-term capital gains. Like you bought it last week when it was down twenty twenty-five percent. You make five percent. You sell it. That's going to be short-term capital gains. So this is where I'm going to plug this so many times, but this is where CPA really comes into into effect and handing them these tax documents and saying, hey, how much do I need to send the IRS because uh, not not many things scare me in life, but I'll tell you, um, red, white, and blue lights behind me in a car scares me a little bit, uh, yeah. and then the IRS also scares me.
2: So. Scares <laughs> me way more, man. Yeah. <laughs> number three is usually li- <laughs> number what bears the the animal, not the investor. Oh <laughs> yes, yes Godless. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, carry on.
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah, so it, it really doesn't matter, matter how long you've held the fund. If you're holding it long-term, it matters how much the, how long the underlying investments within the fund have been held
2: by the fund. Yep.
1: Oh, so if, put-
2: you, if you had an actively managed ETF that was not successful, that'd be very painful. Right
0: yeah can so they pass through you could, the capital that, losses can you will you be able to pass those do they pass that through
1: uh i believe so
0: yeah to uh, use it you be, know yeah because that that that's a uh, tax asset at that point you know so you I, can harvest those losses that would be yeah you can write off up to three thousand
1: a year i believe
0: yep three thousand
1: yeah that's where a cpa comes in and Really, in effect. Um, let's see. Short-term capital gains for Arc Innovation, 2020. I think they had an
0: 80 percent turnover ratio too, if I'm not mistaken. In 2020, wow. is that right?
2: So no one's in it for the long run.
0: Everyone's just flip flopping. I, I was reading an, an insanely high turnover ratio.
1: Yeah. So like, turnover within an ETF or a mutual fund is how often they're, they're trading with, inside of it. Mm-hmm um let's see innovation etf 1.58 percent. so not terrible okay, well, and you know, nothing not too crazy when it comes to how much you're going to pay but you're still going to pay something and so um breaking that down again finding somebody who's an expert at tax um is really going to help with that yeah if you're going to get in the market
0: guys, that, that is one of the get a cpa i mean they're not i mean turbo tax is all right but i mean once you're your taxes get a little bit more complicated. It's, the CPA pays for itself. You protect yourself. It's just all
1: around a good way to go. Yeah, I, I formed an LLC this year for, cause I'm gonna say 99 employee through Iron Oak. And I you know, think one of the, the best things that you can do is recognize what you don't know. And I knew that I was really good at investing. I was really good at analyzing companies. I knew nothing about taxes. So Absolutely. one of the first things that I did, contacted the CPA and said, Hey, I'm setting up this LLC, how do I do it in the most tax efficient way? Yep. And how do I write off as much as possible while yeah, I do save it? Save
0: those receipts, uh, baby. So,
1: gee, Brilliant. That's right. Do you log yeah, your, that, do, you log
2: your do you log your fuel?
0: Do you log your fuel? Because you can write that yeah. off. Okay.
1: I log I log everything, man. Yeah, I gotta okay, good. my phone's always like tracking where I'm at and everything like that. So
0: because Brandon yeah, and I are far, forming an LLC for this. Um, and That's in way, in a way to you know to write some shit off, man. I love doing oh, yeah. that. Hell At yeah. least my tel- Tesla to the
1: company. Oh, we'll get that done. <laughs> <laughs> so the only other thing that I would kind of caveat when it comes to investing in a traditional brokerage account, which is an individual account. I, I believe that's how it's labeled at Robinhood. Correct? Traditional brokerage,
2: right? I, I've never used Robinhood in my life, so I don't know.
1: It's traditional. So for simplicity's sake, yeah, we'll just say traditional brokerage. Because I, I know you can't you can't do IRAs, and so I'm going to assume you can't do like uh, joint with rights of survivorship or anything like that as no. well. Oh, mm-hmm. No, no. So no. yeah, and even when it comes to um, like putting a a beneficiary on the account i heard it is it's very difficult uh to do that through so a robin where
0: does that money go if you die
1: it goes in a um it goes in goes limbo li- yeah it goes um, in it
0: um testate or interstate
1: yes yeah yeah so it goes to the government and then oh you know m- maybe your family might get it yeah right? you'd have to fight that's for after it. a lot right and so there, there have been horror stories um, oh uh, of God. people who have had investment accounts and you know, upwards of a million dollars and then they pass away. And they don't have a beneficiary listed on it and you know they've been married to somebody for 30, 40 years. they die and you know now they have to go to court for six months before they can even see a dime of that money. It's, it's pretty insane. So. You, oh my you
0: guys heard it here. if there's ever a reason why you don't want to get into Robin Hood, and I'm assuming Weeble's the same way rights of survivorship. That's a good point. Oh my God. You know,
2: it also goes to show that you can be married to someone for 30 years and they're still thinking about jumping out on you at any given moment Had <laughs> half a million, uh, a million dollars in that account. And don't have her signed to it. What is that? You know what that awesome. was awesome. <laughs> yeah.
1: So for us, like whenever we do a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA, it's always, we always have the beneficiary when it comes to an individual account, there are a few that have kind of slipped through the cracks that I need to go back and, you know, take care of. But those are going to be uh, pretty fast, like, little sign-ons where it's, okay, spouse yeah. information here, mm-hmm. take care of that. And then if it's a, you know, rights of survivorship, let's say, Josh, you're married to Susan. Brandon. Uh, uh, Brandon and I away. are getting married, yeah. actually. Yeah. Let's okay. say me All right. Yeah. So Josh passes away. We're very sad. Uh, Brandon's going to take over the account without having to incur any state attacks nice. because they're both on the same account.
2: I'll sell it all and build that's, a
1: statue.
0: So that's a wealth
1: transfer tool, right?
0: Is that pretty common? Do you see people use that as kind of a way to transfer wealth? With uh, rights of survivorship? Yeah, but
1: with those accounts. So, yeah, so that is a that would be a joint account. Uh, okay. right? So if something happens to you, it's going to go right to Brandon because he's still... It's like a 50-50 partnership gotcha. within the account. Okay. Um, when it comes to an IRA or a Roth IRA, the government doesn't necessarily want the IRA to be a tool to pass wealth to the next generation. And that's why you see r and I don't know if y'all have covered that before. Whenever you turn 70 and a half based on the amount within the account, government's going to want you to start pulling money out of your ira and so what about a roth ira lots of ways they, that can, they, they don't have that though do they the roth no, now now because you've already paid taxes on it yeah at the end of the day like the government just wants its money and <laughs> that's why you start doing rmds and yeah as much as it sucks like you gotta pay uncle sam at the yeah seven and a half
2: yep gotta justify my pension. So, huh? yeah that's
1: right <laughs> Uh, the only other thing that I really had to, to kind of go over were dividends within the a traditional individual account. Uh, so there's two types. You have your qualified dividend and your non-qualified. So I'm going to go over definition. Not going to make a lot of sense, but then I'm going to go over an example. Hopefully it will shine some light. Yeah. Okay. So qualified means you've owned the stock issuing the dividend for at least 60 days during the 120-day period that started 60 days before the ex-dividend date. Yeah. So the ex-dividend date is the day after the cutoff date the company uses to determine which shareholders are eligible to receive the dividends. Yeah. So if you can translate that, that's great, but I'm just gonna use an example so we all understand it. So, so the ex-dividend date so is basically just- a
0: date where you have to have owned the stock On that day or before the day in order to be qualified to even receive the dividend, right? So if the ex-dividend date for a particular stock is April 27th, but you didn't buy the stock till April 28th, you're not getting that dividend.
2: Okay, to further the Barney style down, a stock is generally a printer that every couple of months will print an exact amount of money for you. They're trying to make sure you don't fucking buy the printer right before it's supposed to print the money so you're not gaming the system, guys. There you go.
1: So you can, right? But it's just going to be an unqualified dividend and it's going to be taxed at your ordinary income tax rate. Yep. A qualified dividend is going to be taxed at that long-term capital gains rate mm. uh, as long as you've held it over that 120-day period. So. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. You're schooling me. Yeah, I'm not going to go over the example because yeah. I think I think Brandon set a good example of, of what that looks like. Yeah, I love it. Um, but ways to avoid that dividend and even reinvesting the dividends, you're gonna be taxed on either at that in, that ordinary income tax rate or the long term capital gains rate. Okay.
2: So Oh and Michael, I, I didn't mean to step on your toes there. I just I'm in the army, so I'm used to teaching to the back of the classroom, you know, the lowest denominator. <laughs> so I gotta break it down. If I notice if there's too many acronyms flying around, I gotta bring it back to Earth. That's all. That's
1: there now. I realized like, I-, I read that definition a few times. Like I, I have a little PowerPoint that I'm-, I'm going off of just so I have notes and don't get too scatterbrained, but read that out loud. And I- I'm more of a, uh, a visible processor yeah. rather than uh, internal. So I have to see it and like think through it. It's like, okay, here it is. But yeah, the, the way you said it, printing money is great. Uh, just depending on how that money is printed, how much you're gonna pay in taxes it depends on the day that you buy it. Yep. So, Beautiful. four ways to really avoid the taxes on the dividends. One, in a lower tax bracket. I mean- So form an LLC and I've write got- stuff off, right? Is that right, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you have your tax exempt accounts or your tax deferred or just invest in non-dividend companies. It's more than likely it's gonna happen uh, you might not pay too much when it comes to actually paying money on dividends. Right. Uh, but still something that you have to consider and something you shouldn't be surprised by whenever that comes around. So my last warning, talk to a CPA. None of this is real financial advice. Um, don't come after me.
2: <laughs> it would be best if you viewed this all as entertainment.
1: Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, clients of Iron Oak may... may put to, maintain positions discussed within this podcast
0: (laughs) so you know it's interesting because most people own etfs or index funds most of those actually have dividends as well i mean well most um so that's something people were probably going to learn for the first time when they're looking at their taxes and they're like well why the hell am i you know what's happening here
1: right and even let's say something is changed within an s the s p 500 or the dow Yeah, All those index funds have to sell that security in order to replace it with something else. Mm. People don't realize that. Mm. And so they're going to be hit with taxes whenever that happens. So, I mean, you know, it's not going to be the end of the world, but something that they should be aware of whenever that does take place. Because you'll hear um, what was added to the Dow a few years ago. It might have been J&J. They took something out, but... um, I forgot I forgot what they put in but What's the Dow? There's a <laughs> <laughs> It's a you know I can always tell like right off the bat. And this is no knock to anybody that's a little older but I can always categorize somebody's age range based off of they ask what did the Dow do today or what did the S&P 500 do today? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I can ask for the NAS- <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then if they ask for the Nasdaq did, I'm like, "Oh, you're Oh. You, like, like, know what you're talking about, right?
2: <laughs> the Nasdaq is all your techie growth people. All the Dow guys are your boomers and older investors that came through actual institutional investing classes. Right. S&P 500 all the Adderall snorting Redditors that are just super into all the hot poppy stocks right now. Uh, right. You know. And really,
1: you know, the s and is made up of really, like, five or six companies that run the world.
2: Wow, well, uh, yeah, because
1: it's the market,
0: other, market like... cap
2: weighted, sure right but my favorite are the yeah. Peter Schiffers and the the people who predict the end of the world who just buy vast amounts of gold and sit with a bean seller full of seeds
1: yeah
2: it's yeah
1: it's really interesting you look at some of the older hedge fund managers or actively managed portfolio kind of guys and like well I've been calling for calling for the market to drop for Ten years now, and it finally—I I called it. I, I, I called it right, you know. And, uh, same thing with last year. Uh, people were looking at Trump and saying, "Oh, it's like it's an inflated economy," and yeah, you know, this is not political. Right. This is just what I've heard from financial news. Yep. Uh, they're saying it's an inflated inc- economy, and like you know, based off of all this stuff, it's all Trump Trump's fault that the market dropped. And you know, me, as a third party, I take a step back and I say, "We." You have a global pandemic. What yeah. did you expect the market to do? Right? <laughs> right. It's no inflated economy. It's nothing else. And then interest rates drop. And Man, I, I do not want Jerome Powell's job at all. Oh, yeah. I do not want to be in charge of the Fed right now.
2: It seems so now. easy. You just keep printing oh, money. <laughs> Dude, it's amazing. <laughs> Like okay. I, I don't know. It's, it seems really simple. I mean, you could, if I was president of the United States, right, here's the real thing. I feel like everyone's complaining about jobs, right? Nobody needs jobs. What everyone really needs is just money, right? So if I'm president, I'll print everybody a million dollars, and then we can all be millionaires together. They won't be no more 1%. We'll just be a million presenters. Right, only jobs I'm going to make are going to be down at the mint, son. That's what I'm saying. Okay,
0: so on taxes, oh, I love it. You know, back to taxes, Michael, you know, here's a, here's the thing I've been seeing recently, especially with this recent correction. You see a lot of new investors, they're, they're holding the bag on stocks and, you know, they're holding on a loss. And what I hear them say is, well, I'll just give it time. And oftentimes what they're holding on to is complete garbage. Is there a reason why they would sell it? Is there an asset that they can use? you know, selling it at a loss isn't always a bad thing, right? So I kind of want to segue into tax right. loss harvesting. Could you kind of describe the benefits right. of that?
1: Right. So like we discussed earlier, you're able to write off $3,000 worth of tax um, tax losses Yeah. Uh, a year. And so that that's one of the decisions that we made last year. Like we had bought some companies and Everything looked good on paper, especially in our, in our innovation portfolio, but out of the 20 to 25 companies that we had in there, we're not always going to get it right, sure. right? So we had, you know, we were holding the bag on maybe two or three companies and uh, we just kind of had to sit down as a firm and say, okay, so this is at a, you know, I think it might've been a t- 30 to 40% loss. Thankfully, we hadn't put a ton of money into this stock. Sure. Um, and so we said, okay, in our individual accounts let's go ahead and sell it because we're going to be able to take those losses and, and count it against the gain that we've had um, and then you can reduce our growth fees right right is this something's going to be a little bit better or might rebound a little bit faster because at the end of the day is that still a good company yeah we still believe in the company we still like it the stock just didn't really react the way that we thought it was going to be and that's going to happen and you have clients to too right Right, and, and so thankfully, my clients understand. They say, oh, "Okay, well, you lost some money here, but you also gained money elsewhere." And I, I walk them through the reasoning behind purchasing purchasing one company compared to another, and saying, "Hey, um, we still believe in this company. We still like it. Have a lot of conviction about it." Unfortunately, the stock price isn't reacting the way that we want to, so we're going to sell it at a loss and put it in something that we feel a little bit more comfortable um, investing in going forward. And so you know, if we were to hold on to that for four or five years, would it be up? It might be, but if we see value or opportunity somewhere else, we are more than likely going to sell at a loss and then move elsewhere.
0: Yeah, I mean, because you get that immediate tax savings that you can reinvest. And that's the whole point of right. tax loss harvesting that's beneficial sometimes.
2: I've used it. Yeah, the gift right. of liquidity is a wonderful thing, especially when, you know, there's been a lot of stocks that I've jumped into, um, because, you know, I'm really into growth and innovation plays. I'm, I'm not mentioning Tesla this time, but other stocks, where I was like, I, I think this stock has a good way to go. The problem is, is like, either based on current lawsuits they're dealing with, or just how the public's reacting to news with what's going on with them. You know, uh, I'm just giving it time to see and wait for a better time for reentry, right? I'm not trying to time the market specifically, right. but there's better opportunity cost with my time right now somewhere else, uh, for, for staying in this this one particular stock for too long.
1: Right. I was looking at the Discord and was it you that had posted something about Clover Health? I think that's a great exactly example I'm of. Okay. Yeah. I I love Clover Health. I believe I own it in my own portfolio. Mm-hmm. I've I've been cutting down my positions because so I want to have like a sleek five of five companies that I just really love right. just kind of swing for the fences right, right. Um, I want you to know I I, really like them.
0: I put that stock in our community and that's how Brandon found out about it after our call I believe
2: I've had a, I've had oh, really? a lot of people tell okay. me about Clover I what one of the things that was you know I, I heard about it because it was Chamath's uh, latest, you know, child that he was bringing up. And I love the, the, the style behind it. And for me, like, first off, Michael, mm. let me say you're a breath of fresh air, because every person I've talked to prior to this has only told me to invest in general market index funds. And to me, it's so uncreative. And it's so it, it hurts me. It hurts my soul. Hey, come on so now. Here you say like, in your personal portfolio, you pick five or six good ones that you swing for them. That's how I invest too. It makes me happy. But also, I like yeah. companies like I like putting my my money behind companies that have like a sense of altruism behind them too. Like it's really mm-hmm. easy to throw a bunch of money in Facebook and make money over time, right? Like that's a it's an easy investment. You don't have to think too hard. It you know you can do something like that.
0: I love Facebook. Okay,
2: I hold it.
1: Okay. Yeah, just yeah, like you know, it's a just great just company.
2: Like, yeah, I, it's great. It's a great so stock. much cash. So much cash. It's a great if it's a great company though that's something altogether entirely right and that's where I draw a lot of my lines I love Clover health because I'm like this is something that could fundamentally make a better America and I love getting behind companies right. like that you know um, right. so for me it's like it's it's interesting you pick clover because for me when when the market corrected a lot you know I was I realized I was very quickly over invested in tech and uh, you know uh, sort of these new research companies i couldn't. say you're you're not the only person in America who
1: had that realization or had that understanding. I'll let you know that. I think a lot of people saw that swing and they're like, This is
2: where we had a huge breakdown, though. A lot of people from here went, I wonder what to do next. Do I rotate from here to value stocks? And I try and jump into these value plays, these reopening plays that a lot of people are already rushing into. Or do I double down on my tech convictions and buy the dip? Right. It's like this is where it's really where a lot of people's like their portfolio, their their thesis of their portfolio, their styling change really dramatically with this one correction, whether they know it or not. Right. And I think right. I think this this is a good moment to highlight like everyone has a couple stocks that they can really pick that they have conviction in long term. And even the stocks that kind of fall through. Try and keep them on your radar because you never know when you might want to circle back around to them or when they'll make that breakthrough that you've been looking for to get them out of that that slump. Right.
1: So, Michael, yeah, you I, know... I think this past... Oh, good.
2: oh, no,
0: no, no. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm being an asshole.
1: Oh, I was going to say the, uh, the, uh, the past two weeks were a really good gut check with even my own clients. Like, uh, for myself and my own clients, like, I actually became more aggressive over the past couple of weeks where I was just like, okay, like, At the end of the day, I ask myself a question. Am I okay with losing X amount of money within my own portfolio and backing these companies? Yes, I I am within my own portfolio. I'm not going to do that for clients. Makes sense. I'm not going to be nearly as... Right, I'm not really going to be nearly as risky um, in clients' portfolio as I am of my own, but that doesn't necessarily mean that all the stocks in my own portfolio aren't something that my clients could potentially be in. Just they're going to be... Three to four to five percent, compared to the you know fifteen to twenty percent within my own portfolio.
0: Oh, you degenerate! You degenerate! You. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I like it. it. No, I love it. All right, man. So, Michael, here's the thing. And we, you and I have gone back and forth on this and talked about this. A lot of a lot of people they kind of threw fundamentals out the window. I, I at least I believe, right? Um, right? They don't care about fundamentals. They don't care about earnings. I still think they're important. What, and I know you're a fundamental investor, make the case why it's still important to root yourself back to the fundamentals. And on top of that, give us some of the things that you look for as it pertains to fundamentals.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Fundamentals, for sure. When it comes to our global core strategy and especially our strategic income, fundamentals are the bread and butter of both of those portfolios. You want companies that are going to have those really large spreadsheets that have been around within the global core. They're still going to be innovators within their respective spaces. Yeah, Think of an Apple, Microsoft. You know, they're always crushing earnings. They're doing extremely well. But they're innovators. You know, like Visa, Procter & Gamble. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and Procter and & Gamble, for example, like they're just going to buy a company or produce another product of their own. They're going to be innovative, but it's not going to be like a, an ARC innovation, sure. right? It's not going to be mind-blowing, it's not going to be game-changing. might just change how you do your laundry, or brush your teeth, right? It's important, right? man! I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, how I guess eat, how, to, I how to eat pods pod safely, right? How to eat them safely? <laughs> <laughs>
2: and,
1: and even with Amazon, you look at Amazon, and um, it, it's still innovation. And most of their money is coming from their AWS service, right? Yeah. People think Amazon, they think they're making millions of dollars every single year based off their delivery. Oh, it's their and last that leader. That might be a small portion of their portfolio, but um, you look at what they're doing on the other side, uh, that, that doesn't get as much love except on NFL Sunday or NFL Thursday night, whenever it's playing on Amazon prime. And people would need to recognize Amazon is not just a shipping service. They, they, hands and everything like looking back to the parlor incident again not getting political yeah you can think what you want to about parlor but amazon said hey we're not going to have them hosted on our web service and it was down for three or four weeks and they had to find somebody else to host their app or process their software or or however it works right right not an aws guy but uh, from what i understand that's that's what it was and so looking at our global core uh, we're we're looking at this is more stock price, but we're looking at mid-cap or bigger company, large companies. Yep. Uh, when we look at uh, our favorable pop- profit margin, we want profitable companies. We don't want companies that are losing money hand over fist. Like you look at our innovation strategy, there's some companies that are kind of scary when it comes to how much money that they're 100 percent, yeah, losing compared to how much revenue that they have. Virgin Galactic is a really good example. I know we discussed that last time. Yeah. You look at their earnings, they're they burned 280 million last year.
0: Yeah, you're like, it might have been
1: last quarter. I think it was last year.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but you look at their revenue, it's like four million. To me, that that's that's too much. Right. That's too much of a burn rate for me. Yeah. Uh, we also want companies that are gonna pay a dividend. Usually those are gonna be a little bit more stable because they're able to actually pay a dividend. That's, that they're profitable that's a
0: signal to the market
1: uh, yeah right and then we want to look at a return on equity and all these statistics that I'm talking about you can go and find online um we use Yahoo Finance for a, looking at like the statistical analysis yeah of our companies um yes, return on equity is absolutely something that we want and has to be a, above a certain margin okay uh, and then when it when it comes to an innovation Obviously, you're not going to have that return on equity right away.
0: Nope.
1: But the hope is one day, because of this innovation and how much money and R&D that they're producing for this company, it's going to flip and then one day, you know, profit's going to be shot way up and uh, you're going to get that return on equity. But the innovation strategy, that's not the case.
0: How comfortable do you feel... um... How far do you you forecast growth out? Like I know traditionally it's usually five years, maybe even 10. Although recently I've been seeing people make the case for much further. What do you say about that? And w- what is your approach to forecasting growth that far
1: out? Yeah, so I think traditionally we look at five to 10 years. Yeah. When you look at, and we're gonna co- go back to it, but you look at Tesla, Tesla seems like it's priced Ten to fifteen years in the future, yeah, right. And I think I think we can all agree on that. Uh You know, know, whether you're a bull or a bear on the stock, it's priced way way higher than you look at the revenue. You look at everything else within the company. I don't think it's necessarily worth the market cap that it has. Sure, Um, but people love the company. People see all the institutional money going into the company and going back to Kathy Woods. Uh, she talks about the conviction that she has behind Tesla, even in 2016. Obviously, with hindsight, it's really easy to look back and say, oh, why don't we all see this before? But they've really laid the foundation of what a company should be, and they've made it to where everything that operates within Tesla, you can get from Tesla. Right.
2: Oh, I I want to defend my stock so bad right now, but I'm not. I I think in the next five to 10 years, you might see Tesla triple in its current price and I really do. And I think it's because what people thought Tesla was a year ago was a car company. I think what people think Tesla is now is an energy company, an autonomous robot making company, a data collection company, a, you know, it's, it's branching into several different things and it's kind of becoming I see a young Apple in the making is what I see when I look at Tesla. Yeah, I see something that's vying and getting bigger. And, and something that you highlighted about Amazon earlier, right? Like Amazon traded sideways with very <clears> little, <throat> like its price to its PE ratio was like super out of whack for so many years. It
1: was insane for and so long. Because they right?
2: were investing Everybody, into the next future. And I think no one back right? then would have ever predicted Amazon price would be $3,000 a share currently. I mean so I I think you know how far and how we're trying to measure and predict how big we think Tesla is going to grow in the next 5 to 10 years and I think we don't know how how to really measure that scaling just yet so it's it's tricky to be like right. oh it's overvalued it's undervalued at x y or z but the thing about Amazon also is all of America's eccentric billionaires are running off to space Space is the next frontier to colonize, and that's where their next future time horizon is. And if you don't think Amazon is going to be immensely profitable based off of all of the telecoms, all the data collections, all the cloud-based networking services that Amazon is going to be able to provide to any sort of space operations, like that's going to be their next bread and butter. And Starlink is going hand-in-hand right. with Tesla and going hand-in-hand with Neuralink. Like, they're building their own networks. They're building their own space economies. They're, you know, it's it's right. going to be, the f- they're the first groundbreakers into this next untapped resource. So how expensive that's going to be in 10 to 15 years, we don't know. But I'm watching spaceships do backflips in mid-orbit and land on a dime. So I'm, color me impressed. You know, I think it might come within our lifetime, so... It's uh, it's an interesting future to say the least. How fast we'll get there is going to be entirely dependent on what these kids are doing with their rockets, you know, in the deserts. So, you know, stay tuned, I guess.
1: What? Uh, Wait, so, Brandon, did you say you you you, uh, you do own Tesla? Is that yeah, but I also
2: <laughs> and I also own Virgin Galactic. Uh, you know, I, I and I held a lot of them from before they were meme stocks. Now they're meme right, stocks. Yeah, they're overhyped. But back then, I was just a starry-eyed dreamer with some money, you know? And I was following the smart kid like they knew what they were doing. Um, And it worked. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. And I think with any any innovation company, if they're able to say what they... Or excuse me, if they're able to do what they say they're going to do, game changer, right? Just a matter of time until they get there or they crash and burn as a company. But
2: Tesla definitely has... You know, it's like, it ends hey, up like, or they're total frauds, like Trevor Milton, you know, you pull a Nicola, and right. it's, like, none of this was real. It was all illusion and mirrors.
1: Man, hearing that story and then,
2: like, listening to Adam Newman for uh, WeWork,
1: it's like, I, I just want to launch a big idea, get some <laughs> funding from SoftBank and, like, disappear into the night, you know?
2: <laughs> SoftBank, GM, GM partnered with them to make a truck for a little bit, and, like, that mm-hmm. fell through. Oh, it's crazy.
0: So I know we talked, a, I think, what, a year or a month, month and a half ago. Um, and I know you were bullish on clean energy. And that was like the big one. What other sectors were you bullish back then a month and a half ago? Was it clean energy mainly?
1: Clean energy, fintech. Fintech. Um, yeah, fintech. Let's see. This genome sequencing, autonomous vehicle. I mean, you can kind of look at Kathy Woods, and there, there's a lot of stuff within that that we're we're pretty excited about. Do you have any um,
0: tactical changes now, given where we're at? You know, with this correction, well, and, and has your macro view shifted? You know, with where yields are going, or you know, I know there's a lot of talk about that. Has anything shifted in your
1: strategy? Yeah, the only thing that yields concern us with personally is that if you are a very how do i put it risk averse what you're if you're producing something that is very labor or capital intensive it's good the price to produce that just went up significantly it's not just that two percent that we're going to see in interest rates correct me if i'm wrong they said two percent by the end of the year for inflation yeah
0: yeah and they're um, trying to get it up to 2.5%, right? But they're not having any luck.
1: Right. And so as, as rates increase, borrowing money is also going to increase as well. So if you have something that's very capital intensive, um, think of battery building or um, yeah, especially with genome sequencing, the, the machinery that you have to purchase in order to oh, yeah. do all of that. Just think of how expensive that is um, the price to do that just went up significantly when it comes killing. to producing what you say you're going to produce right, right. When z- raise it at zero you can borrow money like it's it doesn't cost you anything right. right right and so there is the warning there but uh, really when it comes to strategic shifts within the portfolio nothing has changed too much we are taking that into consideration that's probably the biggest thing Really this past the past two weeks, I guess three weeks now, were really a gut check for us to make sure that we were okay with taking on as much risk as we were because as fiduciaries, the client's account drops, you know, 20 percent. My check my paycheck's gonna be a lot smaller yeah. when it comes to this next month, right? Oh yeah. And so it was a good gut check for us. And you know, there were some days where I mean, quite honestly, we we're sweating a little bit, where we all right, well. We're uh, we're going through it, and you know, do we want to go ahead and put it in stop losses? And once we have that conversation, it's at the point where it's it's too late, right? Yeah. We do have certain safety nets in place. It's not like we're running around willy nilly out there, um, right? We do keep a considerable amount of cash within the portfolio, usually anywhere from five to fifteen percent. But as things started dropping, we started dollar cost averaging into these stocks and produce and increasing our positions in companies that we had a lot of conviction about. And then that's the nice way of putting it is the, the price, the stock just kept on going on sale, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A few days where the stock just kept going on sale. And so this week we were up significantly not, not to where we where we were at the end of January, but oh, right. um, still feel comfortable with our strategy. And um, when we look at our, more conservative clients and what they need. Uh, we, we've looked a little bit more on that, moved a little bit more towards value. But overall, we're still sticking with the companies that we like because we understand that volatility is going to come. It's just a matter of how you're going to react when that volatility does.
2: God, I love this guy. It's,
1: it's kind of like when uh, it's, it's like Mike Tyson says, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Yeah. Market dropping. You know, you see your portfolio drop ten percent in a week. What are you going to do? Do you do you have that conviction behind the company, or are you scared and you want to sell out? But what if Mike Tyson
0: just knocks you the fuck out?
1: Well, um, <laughs> you got you got some other problems to worry about. <laughs> right. Weak chin. Learn something. Man, uh, Mike Tyson, you can call me a weak chin. If Mike Tyson, no, Tyson. no, you hell no, no dude, he out. would beat the shit out of me, man. You see that uh, that Roy Jones, Jones fight, man? That oh, was... did he look? He looked <laughs>
0: vicious, man. I you you couldn't pay me enough money to get in that ring with him, man.
1: No, absolutely not. He absolutely looked good, not. man.
2: He looked real good. He Needs to go back to his pot farm and mellow out again. They woke up <laughs> out of him, and he needs to just go back.
0: Well, hey, I hey, think.
2: Michael. Oh yeah, go ahead, Bryn. I do have a question because it it does sound like uh, you you look a lot at Kathy Wood and a lot of her uh, a lot of what she does. Don't give him too much
0: credit, Michael.
2: No, no. I I was just wondering. She has an interesting stance on the emergence of cryptocurrencies into the broad market, and she suggested Mm -hmm. that in the average portfolio, at least among retail investors, that people are going to start expecting to see cryptocurrencies replace where. Newer investors would normally put bonds in their portfolio. She thinks cryptocurrencies are going to emerge and kind of uh, eat up that spot in the cash flow of what many would put bonds into because they're more popular with younger investors and they seem to be catching on. Um, I was wondering what your thoughts or opinions on that was.
1: Yes, so when it comes to cryptocurrency, we kind of sit around and talk about it all day. Um, you know, opinions, facts, whatever you want to call it. I think it is here. Um, Hopefully it's not just a a fad for the time being. Uh, We as a company are not putting people in cryptocurrency because on TD Ameritrade's platform, we're not able to. As it gets, if if that option becomes available, then we'll sit down and have a conversation about it. But something that I kind of always go back to when it comes to Bitcoin or cryptocurrency in general is you might know more about it than i do i will gladly say i'm pretty ignorant when it comes to cryptocurrency um i own grayscale bitcoin i know that josh called them out a a few weeks ago on his instagram story talking about them um oh because i think i can make money on it yeah so the ticker is gbtc and it basically tracks bitcoin i think that i can make money on it and so i have money in it it trades below its net asset
0: value man just buy bitcoin
1: and so I can't, but <laughs> um, I, I am curious if that is going to happen. I don't, I don't necessarily know if it's going to be. I think people are looking for something else to put in their portfolios behind besides bonds because bonds just aren't sexy. Nobody's going to talk about their three percent, you know, U.S. bond. Like, oh, I got a great deal on it the other day. Just funny because the the firm that I used to work for. They used to walk door-to-door and sell bonds. It's right. crazy to think about in 2021, right? Uh, but,
0: but there are good bonds, There are the, good yielding bonds.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing is there are good bonds out there. I think it's only a matter of time until we start seeing more and more of them come back whenever interest rates go up. Well, Especially with right us now, being early kinda...
0: expansionary, you could probably make the case right. that a, a rotation in the high yield might make sense, too, right?
1: Right. Um, and so do I think crypto will replace bonds at the end of the day? No, I think bonds are always going to be those safety nets within the portfolio. And, and even people are making the case right now, that big tech are, is the hedge. Like big tech, put, put your money in Apple, Google, Facebook, Microsoft. Yeah, that um, is the hedge, right? I can't think of it. A- in those big tech companies, I can't think of anything else right now off the top of my head, but um, your put, your, put your money in those and you're going to be gonna be a lot safer than if you put them in bonds because they're not yielding anything, right? I think Apple pays like a 20, it might pay like a 1% dividend. Yeah, there's your bond yield, back. buddy. <laughs> right. And so it's like, okay, well, you have to take a step back and say, why? Like, what is the role of bonds within my portfolio? Yeah. Why? Why am I purchasing this? Is it just because I want to do modern portfolio theory, which is fine? But uh, Josh and I discussed last episode. We don't do modern portfolio theory at Iron Oak just because we want the flexibility to purchase what we need to because we like it rather than all right. Let's go buy. You're a- bounded right these rules, right? And so it just goes back to the question: Why are we putting this in our portfolio? What role does it serve? At the end of the day bonds are that safety net within your portfolio and if you don't like the volatility within that stick with cash and don't get a dividend right yep beautiful yep god michael
0: thank you you're wonderful this was
2: yeah this is yeah, amazing so i i, I don't
0: think confident. we have anything else man but is there anything else you wanted to leave the the gas with you can promote yourself because you've done such a wonderful job.
1: Whatever you want, yeah, man. Uh, if you have questions, just come ask me. There's no, uh, there's no obligation. I think a lot of people are, are scared when it comes to reaching out to an advisor that I'm going to charge you for my time or anything like that. And I, I'm more than happy to just talk to people about the market. And, you know, if they have certain questions about a stock or somewhere it fits in your portfolio. I'll be honest, I will say, you know, that uh, that might fit in because you can't just give solicitated advice you know, right. here and there. That's always where, like. friends will come up to me and, oh man, have you heard about X, Y, or Z stock? And I just say, No. Yeah, that, that might fit in your portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> I know, man, they, uh, they expect uh, me to know
0: every stock, man. It's like, I don't even know like 10%,
2: yeah. dude. I right. love when it, people ask you for one. It's just like some obscure, like eight dollars stock. Like, you know, I like, don't know. You- right.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So plug Iron Oak Wealth. Come ask me, email me, give me a call. Uh, I'm more than happy to sit down with people and talk. Um, talk if you're interested in what kind of people need an advisor. Josh and I did a really good podcast on that. Yeah, we did. I do say so myself. Oh, we did. Uh, that I, was wonderful. Really- Felt really confident about that one. Um, you know, you're looking for other stuff outside of Wall Street Junkie. I'm gonna plug Animal Spirits Podcast, one of my favorite ones, uh, when it comes to just talking about all things markets. They're CFAs, like my boy, Josh. Woo! Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> you can put it behind your name, but I guess you're not gonna use it, right? <laughs> well, I ha- yeah, I mean,
0: I have, no, you know what? I will use it um, for real estate. They actually like it, man.
1: I don't know. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, Yeah, and then one of my favorite podcasts that I've listened to is a guy from uh, Simplify Asset Management. It's the CEO. His name's Paul Kim, and he talks about very concentrated positions within a portfolio. And so they have really innovative ETFs, um, and within those ETFs, they have five to six positions. And that's on an animal Spirits. It's called Talking About the Most Ambitious ETFs. Wow, uh, really fascinating. I don't recommend the everyday investor do that. Hell no, don't do that. Index funds, all the way, uh, unless you're working with somebody who actually knows your risk tolerance and what you do. Stick to modern portfolio theory, and that's the best thing that you can do. So, damn awesome. I I really do want to give a shout out to Jacob Brown too. I think that was probably one of the best podcasts that you could have had. Uh, he made a lot of really great points and he's somebody who doesn't want to pay somebody else to manage his assets for him. So he's going to do exactly what he needs to do. That guy has a bright future because he's taking the necessary steps in order to have his own financial freedom. So yeah, that guy's a gem too. That yeah.
2: Yeah. Jacob Brown is one of the smartest human beings I know. So absolutely. Yeah. I, like I, I
1: actually, li- I lifeguarded with him at A&M. Oh, you did? Not. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Probably w- one of the most genuine dudes you'll ever meet. Yeah, yeah, he is. So, yeah. yeah, so thanks for having me on, Josh. Uh, I'll hop on anytime. Brandon, pleasure meeting you. Oh, yeah, you'll be pleasure. on again, man. I appreciate it. And I'll
0: send you the link to this, and we'll we'll get it out uh, pretty shortly.
1: Again, not financial advice. Nope. Entertainment pers- purposes only. Don't
0: sue me because I have a lawyer too, so you can't touch
1: me. <laughs> <laughs> I talk to your CPA. <laughs> All right, see y'all. See you guys. Later.
0: Hey, as always, thanks for tuning in and I look forward to next week's podcast. Stay hungry, guys.